0: Let me recap for a minute. I don't like doing series anymore, but there was no way I was going to preach this one in one sermon. We're in part four. This is the last part of our forerunner series. And this is about the transition from being a church to being a Forerunner ministry that takes the power of God out wherever he would send us. And to do that, We need to be free of the ruling spirit that has been unleashed against the church around the entire globe. The enemy knows his time is short. You've heard this three times already. But over the last two generations in particular, he has released a ruling spirit against the church worldwide. That spirit's name is Jezebel. It has already infiltrated and compromised the church in ways that would be regarded as unthinkable even 10 years ago. And understanding it comes through how it is revealed in the Word of God. And before you might kind of start to switch off a little bit and say, oh, he's talking about Jezebel again, what's this got to do with me? There is not one person in this building right now or on live stream that you that has not been affected by this spirit. Not one. Not one. In part 1 we dealt with the forerunner Elijah and his confrontation With Jezebel as she was physically manifested and how his failure to anoint Jehu as king over Israel resulted in the reign of Ahab and Jezebel lasting at least 10 years longer than it should have. It opened doors for the enemy to operate in uh, the hearts of God's people that uh, that should have been cut off. In part two, we dealt with the forerunner, John the Baptist, and the terrible crisis he faced in his faith shortly before his death, because of the uh, because of the manipulation and undermining of his forerunner ministry by the Jezebel spirit operating through Herodias. If if this is not familiar to you, if you're here and you missed the previous three series, it's on our YouTube channel, and I would highly recommend you going back through it um in part three we covered the forerunner church in the book of revelation in a place called thyatira and how they allowed the infiltration of the spirit of jezebel into a church that appeared to everybody to be otherwise healthy and now we move into part four the final part of our forerunner series and the question we must answer is this. What does it look like when the spirit of Jezebel is dealt with? There's no point in talking about how badly this thing has infected, afflicted and compromised the church if we have no answer. Is that right? Otherwise, I'm just preaching negativity with no answer. Because if it's not dealt with, you will find it almost impossible to move forward in the things of the Lord. You'll recall that last week, or I hope you'll recall, that last week I took us to the story of Athaliah, the daughter of Jezebel, who usurped the throne of Judah. And if she had been successful, the line of David would have been ended. She tried to have any rightful heir to the throne killed but she missed one and how fitting it should be that the one heir that she missed was a one-year-old baby as we're dedicating a baby this morning. A one-year-old baby named Joash or Jehoash. It's spelt two different ways in the Word of God and you'll see his story in 2 Kings 11 and in 2 Chronicles 24. Now we're only going to go to very, very brief snippets of scripture this morning because we're going to cover some ground and then we're going to move into a process where we're going to allow the Lord to move in our hearts as we take communion together. That's why we're not having communion yet. And so a faithful priest in the house of the Lord named Jehoiada helped protect and raise this rightful heir, Joash. And then he had to wait six years until he knew the time was right in the Lord. And then he gathered the people in a godly revolution and Athaliah, the daughter of Jezebel, was removed and executed. Now, do we all understand that under the new covenant, we're not wrestling against flesh and blood. We're not about executing people. We're about dealing with the spirit that infects. Amen? Amen. So what happened next? A seven-year-old boy surrounded by godly advisors began to rule. And we see what happened in 2 Kings 11, starting at verse 17. Then Jehoiada made a covenant. That's the priest, right, who raised the little boy. Then Jehoiada made a covenant between the Lord, the king, and the people that they should be the Lord's people and also between the king and the people. And all the people of the land went to the temple of Baal and tore it down. They thoroughly broke in pieces its altars and images and killed Matan, the priest of Baal, before the altars and the priest appointed officers over the house of the Lord. God appointed authority was restored over his house, the people came together and determined that, with one heart, mind, and voice, they would tear down the altars of Baal that Ahab and Jezebel had erected. And in fact, they tore down the whole temple of Baal. And they decided that they were going to serve the Lord with everything that they had. And then, in Second Chronicles twenty-four four. It says, now it happened after this, after the temple of Baal had been destroyed and the altars uh, torn down, that Joash set his heart on repairing the house of the Lord. This was a reformation that came to God's people at a time where they had been stuck in generations of iniquity. Do you know why? The spirit of Jezebel hates the prophetic voice so much because the genuine prophetic voice has authority to destroy Jezebel's works because prophets have mandated authority to speak what God wants done and then what God wants done happens. God doesn't move without first speaking to his servants, the prophets. That's what the word of God says. And so you see a beautiful example of this, for instance, in Jeremiah. When God calls Jeremiah, he speaks this over him. He says, see, I have this day set you over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out and to pull down, to destroy and to throw down. They are very powerful words. This is saying you have the mandate to pull kingdoms out of the enemy's plan, pull them down, destroy them. And then it says to build and to plant. And then when you read the book of Jeremiah, he makes these, uh, he releases prophetic words over nations, and the proof is in the pudding because what he prophesied is what happened. So how does this type of authority actually play out when we're starting to talk about this ruling spirit of Jezebel? Well, uh, you will remember from part two of our series that Elijah did not anoint Jehu when he was told to. But Elisha, who we haven't covered in this series, with the double portion. Sent one of his young prophets in training to anoint Jehu king and deliver this prophetic word 2 Kings 9 7 to 10. You shall strike down the house of Ahab your master that I may avenge the blood of of my servants, the prophets, and the blood of all the servants of the Lord at the hand of Jezebel. He is anointing Jehu to be king, and he is releasing this prophetic word. For the whole house of Ahab shall perish, and I will cut off from Ahab all the males in Israel, both bond and free. So I will make the house of Ahab like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and like the house of Baasha, the son of Ahijah. This means these houses are coming down. The dogs shall eat Jezebel on the plot of ground at Jezreel and there shall be none to bury her. And that's exactly what happened to her. And he opened the door and fled. (laughs) The young prophet didn't quite have the confidence to know what the guy was going to do when he released this prophetic word. Jehu immediately rises up, obeys God, and Jezebel is thrown down from her high place. But her daughter survived for a further seven years. This is Athaliah that we dealt with last week. Jezebel's daughter, Athaliah, actually usurped the the rulership of Israel and sat on the throne of David illegally, killing what she thought were all the children in the lineage of David, but she missed one. See how God always makes a way. See, the Messiah could not come except through the line of David. You can't have a child of Jezebel and the Son of God occupying the same place. She missed one, Joash, and under the leadership of the high priest, she was thrown down, Athaliah, and that one remaining child was crowned king at the age of seven. The throne of from which the the lineage that lineage that's going to produce the messiah entrusted to a 7-year-old boy we're going to return to this because it's profound see under joash all the people tore down the temple of baal and all the people raised up and restored the house of the lord authority was from heaven was given to the heart of a child with the anointing to tear down what needed to be torn down and to build what must be built. Never discount what God has entrusted to you even at a young age, whether it be a physical age or your age in the Lord. The remnants of the lineage of David Joash reformed a nation. What does this mean for us here today, nearly 3,000 years later? Now the remnant, because Joash is a remnant, he's the last one in the line, right? Now the remnant, us, must reform the church. I'm not talking about just open heaven. I'm talking about the church of Jesus Christ around the world. We need a Pentecostal reformation. For that to happen, we must tear down and we must build. The infestations and wrong structures of the Jezebel spirit must be eradicated. Sexual sin needs to be repented of and renounce. I'm speaking like three times slower than I normally do this morning because I want all of this to sink in. I want to tell you that this morning at four o'clock in the morning, I got on my face before God trying to figure out how I was going to lie on my face and take communion at the same time because I felt God dealing with me that this is a precious moment in the Lord today. I need you to understand this is a precious moment in the Lord for every single person here and watching on live stream. Sexual sin needs to be repented of and renounced. Pornography must be eradicated from the lives of God's people. Political manoeuvring for power in churches, movements and denominations must go rebellion against godly authority must be dealt with Baal worship through materialism and the prosperity gospel that is actually the worship of mammon has to go false grace that promotes relationship with god at the expense of a lifestyle of repentance must itself be repented of god forgive us that we would presume upon the grace that came to us because of the blood of Jesus. The acceptance of abortion and its damage to entire nations must be reversed. The embracing of New Age syncretism, including prophetic witchcraft, are all signs of the infestation of the Jezebel spirit and the whole prophetic movement, I would suggest you, needs cleansing. Churches must be built. That's what we're pulling down. What are we going to build? Churches must be built in the spirit without any other consideration. Forget the Seeker Friendly Church Growth Seminars. Forget the sermonette on how God wants to bless you no matter that you're in bondage to serious sin and you will never go free if you do not repent. Forget the 15-minute worship segments where we're constantly looking at our watch because we got lunch waiting at home. When Reformation comes, the axe is laid to the root of these false foundations and wrong structures. And the axe is falling today. We have talked quite a bit about Elijah and, and really I could continuous series on Elijah and the double portion we could get into Elijah we could go we would he be here for months but God's saying it's time to get into the Acts it's time to live the book of Acts we talk quite a bit about Elijah we could go on for a while But today is about laying the axe to the root of every false foundation, structure, idolatry and every infestation of Jezebel and Ahab in our lives. It's time to stop passively giving authority over to where it does not belong. That's the Ahab spirit. Passively gives over authority to another spirit. Because we are to move forward into what God has for us. It's time for a remnant to rise in a Pentecostal reformation. It's time for the centrality of the Word of God in our lives. It's time for us to stop replacing the Word of God with self-help books. It's time for the word of god to be central to our lives and not be replaced by self-help books with a watered down message the message for the end times church is fire and repentance (laughs) it's time for prayer and fasting and intercession to become central to our lifestyles. This is not a party, folks. This is a lifestyle. This is a life laid down at the feet of Jesus, investing in the things He wants us to invest into, which are the things of the Spirit and not the flesh. It's time for the church to become a house of prayer for all nations. How dare... Anybody suggest that a prophetic word released from one church could not impact a nation somewhere else when Jesus said His church, His house will be a house of prayer for all nations. If we're praying for all nations, why are we praying? Are we just going, oh, God bless them and not expecting anything to happen? If God speaks a word through one of us over a nation, should we not believe that God intends to impact that nation? What is the prophetic for? It's to tear down and to build. God wants sheep and goat nations in this hour. And nations respond according to the word of the Lord. Slow down, John. It's time for the soulish false prophecies and prophetic witchcraft to cease. It's time for the false prophets to fall silent. It's time for the miracles, signs and wonders, healings and raising from the dead be what the church is known for once more, just as it was in the book of Acts and greater than the book of Acts because the glory of the latter house shall be greater than the former. It's time for the fear of the Lord to return and for demonic compromise to cease. Why have I focused on a seven-year-old king in this message? It's because of the importance of the heart of the child. This is what Jesus says about a childlike heart. Matthew eighteen two to five. Jesus called a little child to him, set him in the midst of them, and said, "Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven." Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whatever happened to the innocence of the childlike heart, Jesus paid the price for your innocence to return. Why are we walking in depravity? And whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. The kingdom of God is not about earthly giftings or talents. It's about the presence and power of the Holy Spirit colliding with childlike faith. Our mission, strategy, tactics, the taking of territory must have foundations of purity and innocence. In the face of of our enemies, cunning and deceit, witchcraft, rebellion, devious plans and all the other devices of the enemy birthed by Jezebel, this would seem impossible. And so it should because it is because God must get the glory and it is only God that can do it. We are only his yielded vessels. What do you need to let go of so that the fullness of the Holy Spirit can be poured out through you? Jesus knew what we would face. Matthew 10 16. God hit me, this scripture hit me like a brick. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Let me ask you a question. What defense does a sheep have against a wolf? The shepherd. That's the only defence. You ever seen a sheep take on a wolf? He might get in a headbutt. (laughs) And then the wolf will tear it to shreds and have it for lunch. But the shepherd... Being wise as serpents means that though I have a childlike heart toward God... I must still navigate through the trickery, manipulations and machinations of the evil one while maintaining my heart of grace, love and peace toward others. And I must have discernment of what's going on. You don't fight demonic fire with demonic fire. You don't solve these problems with human understanding. You solve these problems with the discernment of the Holy Spirit. This is the gift of the Spirit, the discernment of the Holy Spirit to identify what it is that's trying to gain access. What's trying to take control? What's trying to manipulate you? What's trying to infest you so that you infest others? Talk about a pandemic. The church already had one before COVID-19 ever even turned up. We have talked about the infestations of Jezebel, the sins that this spirit leads us into, especially in the areas of rebellion against godly authority, sexual sin, pornography, materialism, abortion, jealousy, syncretism, I could name a dozen more. Then you have the manifestations that this thing produces insecurity, rejection, jealousy, pride, arrogance, control, manipulation. All of these things are like rust in the superstructure of the house of God. How do we deal with this? By repenting of and renouncing every infestation and manifestation of that spirit. We can do this and it will go. Why? Because of our covenant. I know we have looked at Elijah and we've looked at John the Baptist and we've looked at the church of Thyatira. We've looked at Joash. We've talked about the remnant. There's one more forerunner that we must speak about to move into what God wants to do today. The greatest forerunner of all, Jesus. And this is the only time, if you have the New King James Bible, this is the only time where the word forerunner is actually used. We all know John the Baptist was a forerunner. We know that uh, Elijah was a forerunner. forerunner forerunners all through the Bible. But the one that the Bible singles out is Jesus himself. And uh, why Hebrews 6, 19, This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil. See how he's the forerunner? because he was completely man and completely God. And when he was raised from the dead, he, the dead, he went up into the heavenlies and the veil in the temple was, was torn on earth as a, as a signifier that Jesus had walked as a forerunner into the almighty presence of God boldly to the throne of grace as it were and he is seated there at the right hand of the father making intercession for us that we might walk into everything that he has called us to be and that we could walk in freedom from the things that the enemy has thrown at us which enters the presence behind the veil, verse 20, where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. He is the high priest of our covenant with the Lord, the creator of heaven and earth. His body broken under fearsome beatings and crucifixion And the blood that poured out of Jesus paid this incredible price because God says, my people shall be free. I'm going to ask those serving us with the elements of communion to begin distributing them, please. When we take communion, we are taking part in one of the most precious aspects of relationship with God. Now, I understand that there's a whole lot of things that communion speaks of to us. But I want this particular aspect to be at the forefront of your mind this morning as we prepare to take communion we have an opportunity to have a fresh encounter with the Lord as we examine ourselves. And as we do, I'm reminded that the Bible says that the spirit of a man is the lamp of the Lord. And as his searchlight moves within us, The Spirit of the Lord draws us to repentance. There is an aspect of communion when we are reminded of the incredible price that Jesus paid for us. There is an aspect of communion where I would have to be the most hard-hearted Old Testament Pharisee on the planet not to sit broken before the Lord as I understand the price he paid for my freedom. In 1 Corinthians 11, verses 28 to 32, Paul is speaking to a church that's not that far removed in its practices from Thyatira. There's all sorts of ungodly sin going on in this church. There's all sorts of infestations of the demonic, even though they're moving in great power and the Holy Spirit is evident in their meetings. But when Paul writes to them, he says in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-eight, but let a man examine himself and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. I want to make it very clear, the onus is put upon us to examine ourselves before we take the bread and the cup. It's an opportunity for us to allow the Holy Spirit to search our hearts, to see what might be there that should not to see the things that have drawn us away from him, to see the areas where in particular this morning, because this is about Jezebel and all those sins that I mentioned, to see where this thing may have got a foothold. Because I want to tell you that spirits like this, once you give them a foothold, they invite all their mates in and they build a stronghold. And before you know it, you can't operate in the destiny that God has set out for you. Let a man examine himself and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner, in other words, he who eats and drinks without examining himself, Eats and drinks judgment. Judgment, that is a scary word. No matter what your interpretation of it, when I see the word judgment in the New Testament, I stop in my tracks. Drinks in an unworthy manner. uh, For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner, eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Think about the price that was paid. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. You know, healing can come just from a simple act of repentance without anybody coming anywhere near you. For if we would judge ourselves, we wouldn't be judged. But when we are judged, there's a distinction here. We are chastened by the Lord. It's not about punishment. It's about chastening. There's a difference between punishment and chastening. Chastening redirects us into the paths of the Lord. God's not going to punish you for something that he already punished Jesus for. But I've experienced his chastening Many times. And it can be severe. When we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord. Why? That we may not be condemned with the world. Does everybody have the bread and the cup? Because we're going to do business with the Lord this morning. One of the most beautiful promises in the whole word of God is 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we're going to take some time. I don't want anybody taking their communion yet. We're going to take a few minutes and sit in the presence of the Lord Examine our hearts and allow the Lord's searchlight to search out our ways. As we all sit in the presence of the Lord and examine our hearts, As we sit in the presence of the Lord and examine our hearts, we're going to release some words of knowledge of areas where repentance needs to come. David, Davy. Could you ask Carrie to come and help me for a minute? Holy Spirit that you're bringing to mind to the surface of our hearts the things that need to be dealt with. stream, that need to repent, pornography, there are people here this morning, probably also on live stream, that back in your past, you had an abortion. And it's a memory that has tormented you for a long time. And God wants you to bring that to the altar of the Lord this morning. There are people who are caught in sexual sin and have been unable to break free of their wrongful lusts. There are people here who have not let go of their embrace of rebellion. Rebellion in the world is embraced, rebellion in the church has no place. People here this morning, that have coveted and been jealous of other people's anointings and even their callings. People this morning that um, have a hatred toward one or more other believers. And this hatred is born of the spirit of jealousy. And the Lord is asking us to repent. God wants to wipe out our insecurity. He wants to wipe out our rejection. He wants to wipe out our jealousy, our pride, our arrogance. And the influence of control and manipulation in our lives. We're going to just take one more minute. We're going to take the uh, the bread and the cup together. I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting at verse 23. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take Eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread together. Let's take the cup together. We thank you, Lord, at your death, burial, and most importantly, your resurrection teaches us that we can walk in complete freedom. I'm making a prophetic declaration over all of us here in this building and over all of us on live stream. I make this declaration. Spirit of Jezebel and spirit of Ahab, You have no place in the heart of any person here or watching on live stream. I declare in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you, both of you, Jezebel and Ahab, will play no part in what God does in and through this gathering of believers. I declare in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that every infestation and manifestation of the spirit of Jezebel and Ahab must go now. Your assignments are cancelled. And I declare in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that the Holy Spirit will have His way in the destiny of our lives individually and corporately. I make this declaration in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and I believe it's sealed by the power of the Word, the power of the shed blood of Jesus on our behalf and the power of the Holy Spirit to evict. I evict the Jezebel spirit From this gathering of believers, I tell you, your assignment is finished. Get off our church because our church is named after an open heaven. I declare that this will be a place where we see angels ascending and descending as we worship the Lord in purity, in righteousness, in spirit, and in truth. I declare in the name of Jesus that every person here is going to be free of every infestation of this type in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen, church. Hallelujah.